Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Volrath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, your podcast host and product trainer and chef here at the Volrath Company. And as always with me on our show is Justin Pearson, our co-host and producer. Justin, how are you? Hey, Rich. I'm doing quite well today. Thank you for asking. And uh, how about yourself? Well, you know, it's another day recording podcasts, so we're doing good, right? Yeah, yeah. Better, better this than a lot of other things we were, could be doing. Could be digging a ditch somewhere. Yep, could be <laughs> sitting at our desks and not doing the podcast, which would be not nearly as fun. So We say it over and over again, but it's the, it's the truth. You know, it's yeah. this is a lot of fun to be able to talk to chefs, talk to designers, talk to everybody that we can that's in the food service industry. It, it helps keep our finger on the pulse, helps us relate to mm-hmm. our, our customers and and really, more than anything, it helps us collect information that's going on and, and really share that. That's what I feel like one of the yeah. major goals of what we're doing here is, is we're getting a lot of valuable information and, and we just want to share it and spread the positivity that's going on so that people can grab little bits and pieces of things that other people are doing that they're finding success in and, and try and implement it into their, their own operation. Right. You know, the thing I always think, it, it's it's so funny that sometimes in our, you know, before we hit record here and we do our little chat sometimes we always will think like well how are we gonna go with this guest or or how's this one gonna go and then we get into them and we it's it's that thing we talk about every time like we always tell people there's always a nugget we get nuggets every single time i mean it's such a great thing to talk to these people and we get those little bit of insights and things that well that's the reason we have them on the show right they know this stuff so well and we we gain from it and it's a lot of fun just talking to them and learning what they do. So yeah. we're in for another one today. Yeah, without a doubt. I've learned so much in the span that we've been doing this show. And it really is, I, I personally find a lot of value in it just because of the amount that, that my knowledge and resource and connections base has, has expanded exponentially. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, today on our show, we're going to have someone that we're hopefully, we think, going to talk about trends. And that's that's a tricky thing. You know, we, we hear about trends and so many things in this last couple of years have been, we hear trend, the new trend, and this trend just came about. And, you know, that's that's a that's a tricky thing to navigate as we kind of talked about a little bit. And our guest today, Chris Folari, will help walk us through, I think, some of the things that he thinks through. And he's a chef and what he does with working for um, Guggenheimer is a uh, company that supplied chefs and, and food service operations. So it'll be fun to hear about what he has in store for what he thinks is coming this year, what's worked this year, past year, what didn't work maybe this past year. <laughs> you know, I, I think about about his position and I it gives me a certain level of anxiety that I would not be comfortable with, particularly over the past year and a half, trying to identify trends and, and marry that with uh, restrictions and Oh, the whirlwind and chaos that that is food service that that seems like a very daunting task and then and then on top of that trying to to get ahead of what's coming up for the next year five years whatever you know that that's incredible to me and for somebody who's been doing it as long as he has there is going to be a, a lot to learn and his his insight and opinion I, I think is going to be very valuable yeah and I think it's the trick as well is if you remember my sign off from our first year of the show, you know, my dad would always talk about that. He'd always say, you know, do what you do best and no one's going to beat you. So how do you pivot? How do you 
how do you take advantage of some of these trends without giving up maybe what you do or or not mm-hmm. suddenly pivoting too far away from what you normally do where people expect a certain sure. type of food or experience from you and I think that goes back to whatever your brand is if people know you for being a staple being the same now as you were as forever will be then yeah you you don't want to step out of that because you're going to have a big alienation of your client and customer base. If you're more in the middle there where you have your favorites, but you also do some flexing on some new things and stuff like that, mm-hmm. then it gives you some room. And if you're just known as a trendsetter organization, you're always on front and people expect you to have the latest and greatest. So you're right. You have to really be comfortable and identify where you are with your own brand to step into that. Yeah, I can tell you, in our family business, you know, we're known for steaks and seafood and it's a supper club, which that's a whole nother topic on another show. But um, <laughs> you get known and we've had chefs that have come from, say, Italian and we've tried to do some Italian. Mm-hmm. It, it's just I think people often in their minds have they're coming to a restaurant because of what they had or what they're looking for. Right. You'll get a few people that will try the, the different special that we had or whatever it was. But it, it just, you know, it was hard for the, the customers, I think, to understand there to to picture Italian in our setting and to order right. Italian. So it just proved it, it proved to me over and over again about doing what you do, being known for it, being good at it, and that there's a lane there for you for sure. Yeah, and sometimes it's unnerving to see something unexpected at a place, and and then you really question like, well, what do they know? about Vietnamese they've been serving you know Greek food <laughs> this whole time and now they're they're yeah. trying to pull out these bombies but that has nothing to do with whether or not they pull it off and do a good job but there's yeah. this built-in expectation based upon yep. their reputation exactly well and that's that's what I, I think Chris is is probably going to help us you know talk he'll talk through some of the, those things that he has to think through with a client and Mm-hmm. And understanding what it means to try to pivot away from maybe what they think they're good at to what he sees as more of a trend. So, yeah, well, and then you look at all these different uh, corporate settings, you know, with the cafes and the micro kitchens, mm-hmm. and those are always changing too. But you know, they're positioned to 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 be flexible and to well, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. That 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 dang, the light just went on. That's the difference, right? There is no expectation of what mm-hmm. that. There's no set type of cuisine that those places serve it it's it, they do want the variety they do want to right. think differently oh. no 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 I, I i agree with you and i think oh. what it is is uh, i saw you look at me funny i thought well, you don't <laughs> no, agree no, with no. that <laughs> I, I agree with you i i but i just to add to it i i think it comes down to like a loyalty thing so like if you're at your workplace and they have a cafe there it's it's not like that's your place you know you're not going to go there to celebrate your anniversary <laughs> your, you know your maybe birthday because that's just a place of convenience and that's where you are but uh, so you're right i think there's an expectation of like hey keep it interesting uh mm-hmm. because i'm here and i don't want to eat the same thing every single day but that brings up another thought of, of like what are the metrics for judging what's the trend what's coming up how how do you make decisions and be like okay, this upcoming trend is checking all these boxes. We need to jump on this now before we're too late, before we miss that boat. Oh, if you don't time that right, yeah. If you hit it before your guests have heard about it, there's there's a lot of front-end learning, so to speak, on getting them up to speed on the trend. And mm-hmm. if you miss it, then you look like you're late to the game, right? Right, 
right? And there's to me, it seems like there's so many other areas to be paying attention to now than there were, say, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's a lot more influences and dare I say influencers out there that oh, are yeah. that are help helping guide where food service trends are going. You used to be able to watch um, like street food. Yeah. What you'd see on street food, a lot of trends kind of come through on street food and it's an easy place to start. We've talked about that, I think, some point on the show where, you know, somebody's got an idea and relatively quickly and easily you can do that in food trucks and so forth. It's it's maybe where we see a lot of ethnic trends starting mm-hmm. from and uh, becoming more mainstream, a little easier to do, pull off in those situations. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking with Chris about that. And I'm sure he won't give away all of his secrets because uh, <laughs> as we were talking with Nate before, that's that seems like a, that's a job where if you're not performing, if you're not doing well, uh, you're not going to be in that business for very long. People are going to look elsewhere for right. for that. Well, I think, Justin, you said it best. We are anxious. Uh, you're anxious to talk to the chef. So am I. Let's. I think it's time we bring him on the show and get some answers to our questions. So reminding everyone, once again, today, we have Chris Folari, who is the Director of Food Excellence for the East Region at Guggenheimer, also our chef today. So, chef, welcome to the Volrath Feed. Hey, great to be here. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, thank you for taking your time to join us today. And I, I know I, I love talking to chefs and finding out um, how we get in the food service industry, right? Mm-hmm. Where was that day that either, you know, were you a young kid and from day one you just kind of knew that's what you wanted to do? Or were you like mm-hmm. so many that you got a job and that kind of got you in? How did you get into food service? Well, yeah, so it was probably the first of what you talked about there. So <laughs> my journey into food service started really uh, young, right? So I came up. I had a family that was really obsessed with food, you know, back in the day when it wasn't necessarily really cool to be obsessed with food. It was just kind of weird, <laughs> right? So, yeah, I grew up, um, you know, my background is Italian. I have a large Italian family. Um, grew up in uh, northern uh, northern New Jersey, right outside of New York City, pretty much. But see, and, my, and you know, food was always a big part of our of my life when it was you know, growing up as a kid. My mom was a great cook. My father was a great cook. My grandparents were both great cooks. So it was constant food around and everything. So my parents had this collection of cookbooks that came from. Uh, it was a Time Life series of cookbooks, right? So. It was these hardcover books that would really give you a big history of certain countries and everything. And it was all in these hardcover books were always accompanied by a spiral bound book that always had this. Um, you've probably seen and Most chefs would probably know what they are. Right. So it's kind of like takes you through the whole world. So you would have these, you know, this hardcover book where I would sit in like a food geek. You know, most kids were outside playing football or army and stuff. I was reading about, you know. French cooking on the countryside, classical French cooking, <laughs> Italian cooking, and then trying to do things out of the spiral bound book. When I, my parents would just give me, you know, hey, you know, we'll get you the ingredients you want to cook. We'll give you, a, you know, go ahead, go have fun. Yeah. Right. And it was just always a part of my life. You know, my parents had the, you know, gourmet magazines, the Bon Appetit magazines, all this stuff was always around the house and always something that I would pick up as a kid. Just pick it up and look at these books and just think about what I wanted to do. Like, you know, a lot of kids sit, they sit and they fantasize about, you know, I want to be a rock star. I want to do this and that. Like I, I kind of like, I, I had this, you know, before I was 18, I felt like I'd been around the world in cookbooks because I had all these cookbooks at my disposal. And I, you know, in my free time, I would just be able to pick up, you know, 
something on South America and then just kind of read this book. And the, the cool thing about these books was that this hardcover bound uh, part of the book gave you a history of all of these countries. And so it was almost like an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. So as you were reading this and you kind of find you, you learn about what, why foods are certain, you know, why certain countries have adopted certain ways of cooking or certain types of food and how, how that much that goes back into history and everything, you know, so mm-hmm. always an interest of mine. You know, I started working as a, busboy in a restaurant when I was about just turned 13 my parents frequented this restaurant all the time and I would go with them and I was always expressing this you know interest in cooking and everything and like so I started off as a busboy in this uh restaurant and then I eventually um you know started washing dishes and doing that kind of stuff and then but I went to you know I made the decision when I was in high school that I would really love what I was doing I love cooking and I was just so into it you know, that I had to go to vote tech school. No way would I, no way would I want to go through all this other stuff, you know, calculus and algebra and all this stuff. I went to a vote tech high school. So I started off pretty much in my sophomore year of high school, went through three years of uh, a vote tech. So you'd basically have all your things that you need to take um, in the morning, your math, your, you know, English and things like that. And then I eventually um, had a whole afternoon of just being immersed in cooking, you know, and Looking back on it, it's funny because at the time, it was not sexy to be somebody that liked to cook. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it wasn't really considered a profession that most people wanted to go into or it wasn't interesting. You know, and now, you know, the school that I went to, now it's called, you know, it's called something different. It was just kind of like your Votech High School. Now it's called like the Bergen Academy. You know, so And you have to get <laughs> accepted into a culinary program because there's so many kids and everything that want yeah. to do that and go to it. So, yeah, I started off early. I just, you know, I started working in restaurants, started cooking, you know, eventually went on to culinary school, um, left culinary school to – I had started off at Johnson & Wales, you know, and then I had left because I wanted to go to the Culinary Institute of America, which was the best school, right? So um, – I started working and working works working out great. So I never wound up going back to culinary institute because I was just doing so well working and learning so much working. And I was working in New York City, um, working for a off premise caterer, which was, you know, super exciting. It was, you know, the late 80s, you know, times where people had money. There was gala events, lots of cool parties, lots of cool things to learn and everything. And I just started doing it and absorbing, every, you know, everything I could about food, you know, and then it's kind of and then did a it's a long story. Right. But a lot of other things besides that, you know, hotels, restaurants, you know, I've kind of I've, I've done a lot, you know, in food and a lot of various different situations and everything, you know, both with, um, you know, my career in contract food service, but, you know, career in restaurants and off premise catering hotels and things like that. But um I love it. I love still, I love the fact that I've, uh, I'll, I'll say I've survived it. I love looking back, you know, to say like, you know, I, it's some, it's still something I'm super excited to do every day. You know, I, and people, you. sometimes they go, well, you know, you're a chef, you know, do you really get tired of cooking when you go home? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't get to cook <laughs> enough at work anymore. So when I go home, that's my time to cook. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thing that I, I love. I love, uh, working with younger people. I love working with people that are just getting into it. Just, it's my passion for, in life for sure. So, well, I was going to say that I, I think it's very obvious. You, you are doing what you love to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a good day, right? Do, how, how's the saying go? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, right? That's, so. It's funny because, I, yeah, that's how I kind of feel because, you know, some people, you know, 
in personal relationships and stuff like that, some people think, you know, you're always working, you're always doing this, but what, why, you know, if I'm coming home and I'm cooking, that's not working. Or if I'm coming home yeah. and studying a cookbook or going through that, you know, for a couple hours, that's not working to me. Some people think it is, but yeah. it's not to me, you know. So, Chris, labor shortages and keeping a work staff happy is just on everybody's mind right now. So this is the forefront of pretty much everything we're doing just because it's such a struggle right now. What are some of the things that you are doing to attract new talent and not only that, but keep them there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because COVID, you know, obviously had such a big impact on the industry and everything. And just in so many ways, you know, um, I think, you know, working for an organization like I'm at right now with Guggenheimer is that, you know, we're offering people these, this, I don't want to even call it a flexible work schedule. I'm calling, you know, this better work-life balance, you know, to be able to, you know, remain in the industry, but, you know, being able to have a, a position that's a little bit more stable than working in a restaurant where you're, you know, and for the most part, having a great schedule where you're able to, you know, focus on your, your family, your friends, your mental and physical health and everything like that without leaving the industry, without leaving the restaurant industry. I think the interesting thing about this, and I always tell people too, is that, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, we're, we're the best kept secret in the restaurant industry, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like when you talk to people and you talk to some chefs that are working in restaurants and stuff, they don't realize the quality of, you know, the things that we do and what, what, what they can do, you know, as chefs when working for a company like Guggenheimer, you know, I, I look at it like this, right? You know, you can, you know, as a chef, you know, you can go work in an Italian restaurant for three years and all you're really going to see is Italian food and things like that. You work for an organization like this, you know, you have to be so diverse in your menuing and the things that you're going to offer such a large customer base that, you have the flexibility of being, you know, you can from week to week, you can go from country to country and learn all these things and be able to explore, you know, um, recipes and be able to explore, you know, your food offers and things like that. Because I think, you know, the customer base that's in there really wants that and they're yearning for it. You know, I know we talked earlier in there about authenticity and menus and, and recipes and things like that. I think, you know, that's the most important thing is be able to, for me to be able to get the word out and, you know, being able to network with chefs in a forum like this, you know, somebody's going to listen to to this and maybe, you know, take something from it and then have that interest that they might not have known before that, you know, the organization like this exists. You know, they're driving past back and forth. Maybe they're a restaurant. They're probably passing buildings that we're in there and operating in. And sometimes these people have no idea that there's a full service, you know, I'll call them, you know, employee restaurant there because I hate to call them cafeterias, right? We've right. got a full service employee restaurant in these places that probably has, you know, four times the firepower of those restaurants that they're working in, you know, with a, you know, large staff, you know, and there's, there's a lot of smaller operations too and everything too. But I think, you know, you, you know, there's so much, there's so much to do and so many, so much um, growth opportunities and everything with, with this kind of, uh, work lifestyle than there would be just, you know, maintaining in a restaurant and everything all the time. And I think, you know, COVID made a lot of people realize that because they spent so much time at home. They spent so much time with their families. They started to, you know, have to pivot and do these other things that they might not have been comfortable with in the past just to sustain, you know, working, sustain keeping restaurants open and things like that. So, I mean, we're always trying to promote what we do, trying to network with the, you know, I'll call them the chef community out there in all of these cities and states that we operate in and even internationally and everything too. It's just, 
you know, we have a lot of really, really super talented people here. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that I'm, you know, blessed every day to say like, I can call somebody up and if I don't know something, I have somebody that I could pick up the phone or then either an email away from me being able to learn that. So, you know, younger people coming into the industry, I think it's, um, they should, um, they should, uh, really, you know, think about this as an option. Cause I mean, everybody has these dreams of working in a restaurant and being the next celebrity chef and things like <laughs> that. But I don't know. I like the lifestyle. I like the lifestyle of being able to not worry about, um, you know, <laughs> who's going to show up on a Saturday night or having to, uh, you know, to service on a Saturday night. And we get to do just, we get to do just as many, uh, cool things with food, you know, as you would if you were working in a restaurant, if not more, Yeah. you know, so. So when did you, you know, let's also be honest about those days of working it while you're doing it. It's, it's a lot of fun and you're learning a ton of stuff and you're working hard, but mm -hmm. it does, it does have a different lifestyle, right? It is For a different, sure. it's, it's the nights, it's the weekends, it's all of that. And, yeah. and sometimes when we're younger, we we're in that and it's fine because that's what we're looking for at the time. And so did you make a decision based on that or how did you find your way into the, we'll say the other side of food service where um, you're not doing the kitchen job anymore. It's more of what you're doing now, kind of the consulting and, or yeah. just another place first, right? Yeah. I mean, I started off, you know, like everybody else did working in the restaurants and doing all that. And then there came a time, you know, I was in my, I was in a relationship and she was not into being with someone that, you know, Worked all the time on the weekends, you know, came home at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night smelling like a charbroiler or a fryer and stuff like that. And, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that, you know, you know, when you're young, too. And back then, too, you know, it's like almost like I don't want to say the rock star lifestyle, but you have a certain lifestyle that, you know, you're you're working hard and your people are going out afterwards. And it's just like there's only so long you could sustain that kind of lifestyle, you know, and I got out of it because, you know something came up or somebody, you know, it's like, it's funny now because I talk about it now and how many, how many people don't realize this lifestyle in the culinary world as an option to what they're doing in restaurants. Like when I first learned about this, it wasn't something I even knew about. I just knew I was working in a restaurant. I was working in a hotel and all of a sudden somebody that I knew had made the transition over to the other side and all of you know, I'm working Monday through Friday. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm done by four o'clock in the afternoon. I have weekends off. I have holidays off. You know, I'm doing all this different, these different things. And I'm going like, I want some of that, you know? So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I decided to interview for a position. Um, at the time it was with Gardner Merchant, which was a, you know, before it became Sodexo. So it was a, you know, contract feeder, you know, global feeder based out of basically based out of the UK. Um, my first position in contract food service was at BMW of North America in northern New Jersey. So I had this job. All of a sudden I walk in, you know, it's a Monday morning. I'm making breakfast. I'm making lunch. And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. What do you mean? It's time to go home. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's like, you know, so it was a, it was certainly an exciting time. It was certainly certainly uh, an exciting kind of uh lifestyle to be able to change from going and working in a restaurant to do this but it also afforded me you know at the time i was younger so i was double dipping too at the time you know i was still working you know part-time keeping my hand in things to always yep. be learning and everything and picking up that extra money but also that extra experience to be able to say i'm going to go and cook friday saturday some, sometimes I was, I was when i was younger i was going seven days a week sometimes for months at a time 
because it was great. You were making all this extra money, but and you're still, without being committed to it, you're still attached to that lifestyle. It's almost like I would call it like somebody had a good analogy of it. It's almost like going to jam with your friends. Like if you play an instrument, right? Mm. You're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I got Friday night. Like, but I'm not committed to a band, but I can go and hang out with them and jam tonight. <laughs> right. And I can walk away with some extra cash and some yep. extra fun and, uh, you know, and learn something too. So. Right. I, I totally can understand that because that's what I think a lot of guys do that once you, you kind of transition away for a little bit, you still love doing it and you don't want to be into it all the time. You don't want steady kind of yeah. hours, but you like kind of being able to come back once in a while and keep your hand on it. That's exactly how I say it. It's like you, you keep in on it so you, you can get that blood pumping a little yeah. bit on a weekend. And it's, and it's, it's definitely, and we could probably cover that later with some other questions, but it's like, it's definitely something that I think is super important for anybody and any in the business to be able to yeah. say, stay connected to the, um, trends stay connected to the things that are going on out there because when because it's very easy to become stagnant in a, in a position mm -hmm. you know getting into this and you right. become so used to the lifestyle before you know it you're you know cutting corners because you know it's like oh it's monday morning i don't feel like working that you know it's like so but uh it's very important for me and it's very important for what i work when i'm working with my teams is to say like you know get out there and learn as much as you can no matter where what stage you are at in your career you know, I've been in this career for, you know, over 30 years, you know, going on 40, you know, it's like, yeah. and uh, I'm, I always take any opportunity I can to learn. So, so you mentioned, you know, the trends and that we talked a little bit about trends on the front half of the show. So, you know, that's, that's what you do so much of now is, is, is trend, right? You, you look at trends and can you just talk about how that all, how, how do you evaluate that? Or how do you know when something's here to stay or how do you, evaluate what trends to jump on and when to jump on them. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of cool, I think there's a, there's a lot of things that happen. You know, I think, you know, you have your trends that go along with like, you know, your ethnic foods and being authentic and providing that experience. You know, I think now it's like, you know, Korean food and different things like every, all these different, you know, I'll call them, you know, subcategories of certain cultures, you know, 20 years ago, you would say, I'm going to make Asian food. Well, or even let's go more than that. So 20, and it was just like, it was a standard. I'm going to go grab the Kikkoman off the shelf and I'm going to get some ginger and some garlic. But like when you start to take it apart and look and look more in depth and dissect those cultures and say like, I need to be authentic because, you know, you know, 25 years ago, people didn't have the knowledge that they have now of what an authentic bowl of pho should be or what an authentic rice bowl would be or what, you know, anything you take from any of these countries because they're so connected right now. Everything is so connected to be able to just dial something into your computer, put something into your computer and say like, okay, or your iPhone and say like, I want to learn about what's the best, where's the best pho in Pittsburgh? Where's the best, you know, and learn about this food. And they're getting those authentic experiences where they go. So they, they want to have that, you know, when they're going into like, you know, like in a corporate dining environment, which is what I'm, you know, my area's responsibility are now. It's so important to be authentic because, you know, this younger generation doesn't think, you know, soy sauce and ginger cuts it when it comes to something. They want to know, you know, where are you getting these peppers from? Okay, what kind of pepper are you using in this? What kind of ginger? Where'd the ginger come from? Is it, is this organic? Is it, you know, so oh, yeah. there's so many other questions that come up, from, mm. especially from the younger people because they're asking a lot of those things and they know yeah. what an authentic bowl of, you don't have to leave, you don't have to leave this country anymore to find an authentic anything. It's all here. You just got to know where to find yeah. it, right? The expectations, you're, you're right, have just gone skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. You know, people people expect their things, and they don't just expect them 
at a restaurant they they expect them in the corporate environment like like where you're at you know they they mm-hmm. expect the, the quality and authenticity and i imagine for you that's that's got to be a good thing but also a bit of a challenging thing do you have like a list or a, a checkbox that you go down of like okay this this type of cuisine is going to work in this application. Mm. Um, yeah. What, you know, what's some of the evaluation tools you use? Well, I think for, first of all, I think you have to make sure you have the right equipment to execute that type of cuisine. And I'll go back to using Asian as an example right here, right? Because mm. if you're working in some place where maybe you don't have the best kitchen facility, you have an electric range, you're working on induction burners or something, you're not going to get that authentic flavor that you would cooking in a real wok, a real steel wok, or cooking over fire, or doing those things. So I think, or even, you know, making a pizza, you know, okay, well, let's say, you know, I can go into a kitchen, maybe all they have is a convection oven, or they have this, well, maybe doing, you know, round pies isn't the best for you, but maybe doing a Detroit-style pizza we can do, you know, and saying, well, let's buy the right equipment for that, because it's very important that you have the right pan for that, and the right dough for that, and the right, you know, all those things come into play. You know, how you're cooking things, how you're going to do it. So that, my checkboxes come in that. And can I source the ingredients readily to be able to get those things? Because when you start to go in other parts of the country, sometimes they're not as easy to get. Like I live in the New York area. You know, I live in the lower Hudson Valley of New York. You know, very close to New York City. I can get anything I want whenever I want all the time. But when you start going to these other places and you can't, you can't do it right, I'd say don't do it at all and keep it, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know? Don't try to do things if you're not capable of, of doing those things. Not necessarily from a talent level, but from you know sourcing the right ingredients, having the right equipment, and being able to execute that in the right way. But then yeah. it's not worth it, you know. You know. Yeah. yeah. My dad would always say, you know, do what you do well, and no one's going to beat you, right? So it's you if you can pull it off and you can do it well, then do it. But if you're not going to be with some of those things that make that authentic, then maybe it's best just to not even yeah. try it, right? Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at that too, right? When you can't, because everybody, I think a lot of younger chefs and people come in, you know, other people in the industry don't realize that, you know, they're all a, you know, a part of a team, right? To say like, so there's certain chefs that maybe are never going to be able to do pizza really well, but they can make you know, work the saute station better than anybody, you know, all these things. But that guy working the saute station probably can never write a menu to save his life. But it's like, it's all part of the team. There's certain people, everybody does something well, and that's what makes the team. You know what I mean? Like Bill Belichick's not going to go out and say, you know what, I'm a coach, but I can go out and kick better than you. I can go out and be a better quarterback than you. (laughs) You find the people to be on your team to be able to do that and, uh, and put it all together. Because then it all comes together when you can find all those right team members to be able to do that and do what they do well and contribute to what they can do and do it well. Right. Do you have any uh, areas of the country or uh, is it more about um, like talking about acceptance of new cuisine, new types of items that you introduce into a a setting of corporate or wherever? Do you find areas or clients that have better acceptance acceptance rates on food or is it? Do you find it doesn't vary much? Or? I think, yeah, if you were to ask me that question 10 years ago, I probably would have said my answer would be completely different than it would be now, right? <laughs> because I think, yeah, it's changing. Everybody, you know, it used to be, you know, early on in this industry, you always had your, you know, these are our manufacturing clients. These are our corporate clients. These are our white collar. This is the executive mm-hmm. dining room. But I think 
everybody's starting to know what good food is because everybody watches the Food Network. They have their favorite chef on this Food Network. They're seeing what they can do. So if you're putting out a pizza and all of a sudden that pizza looks like, you know, you can't, you know, don't make assumptions. That's what I always say, right? Don't make, don't assume that these people don't know what they're talking about when it comes to food. And when you, like you said, when you come to other parts of the country too, you know, do what you can do and do it well. When you're in the South, let's make sure we're doing fried chicken and doing it really well or finding somebody that can do that. If I'm in the, you know, Pacific Northwest, I want to find, you know, who's got, who's doing the best job with seafood? Who's doing, you know, the best charge job with, you know, you know, local farmers market kind of stuff and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's the light. It's changed so much because it's at your fingertips to really know what food is. And I you know, and I always just like try to, or I always push back on people when they say, "Well, it's okay. It's just you know, it's a factory." Well, no reason why they couldn't can't have great food in a factory either. What What are your thoughts on how things have changed with the clients and demanding? Packaging changes, for example, they don't want plastic and that kind of stuff anymore. Is that all something you're overseeing as well? In um, the, I, I I have some. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm overseeing it, but it, it definitely affects what I do day to day for sure in developing menus and and um, developing the offer that we're going to go to a client with. You know, it's funny because you know everybody started. You know, right now it's you're in a weird spot right now with COVID, where there's so much packaging right now and there's so much you know a lot of people have moved away from this you know self-serve model or people plating themselves or plate you know and all this sealed packaging it's a lot of it's starting to come back but um i'm more on the side i like to see less packaging you know more food served on china people eating together rather than and i understand the need for both right so from my perspective is like food is about bringing people together and people dining, you know, in, as a community too, right? To be able to sit and unwind with your colleagues. I think it's it's healthy, it's physically healthy, it's mentally healthy to unwind and be able to do that rather than taking packages back to your desk. I mean, that's, but I also understand that, you know, that doesn't work for everybody. And there's those need states of people that want to have, I need the food that's on the go and I need packaged food, you know what I mean? And it's just, providing you know the right packaging and providing the right food that's going to keep its integrity when packaged and everything too you can't not everything works that way so when you're developing a menu that's going to go into a to-go container that's going to be served you know differently than it would be if you were putting on a plate you know you got to make sure that that's the right food as well any new technologies that you're seeing for packaging that are really helping preserve that integrity uh well it's funny i'm like it's yeah i mean I just, it's funny because it probably has nothing to do with the packaging that we're talking about right now, but there's a, like this whole blue apron kind of model and everything like that where the food is coming. So I'm, I'm always been one. I had this thing for gold belly sitting in my inbox for about a year now that somebody gave me a gift certificate to that. Finally, the other day I was like, I had some downtime and I was, I looked at my phone. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to pull the trigger and order this, you know? Um, what was, what was this one called? Gold belly? Gold belly. So it's kind of okay. like Blue Apron, but they, they feature, most of it is all restaurants and everything. So I can order uh-huh. a Shake Shack burger, right? And they're going to give me all the ingredients for that Shake Shack burger. The burger, the bun, oh. the cheese, the, the pickles. And it's just like it comes in a little package. It comes in little, everything is in little containers. And it gives you the directions on how to make it. I ordered one nice. from a restaurant down in Atlanta called Holman and Finch, right? So it's like this... Uh, they have this double double burger, right? They call it, right? 
I'm like, all right, whatever, I'll buy this. You know, I got to spend this money. It's been sitting in my inbox for a gift certificate for a year. <laughs> and it was all pack, all about packaging, tons of packaging, just for every single separate ingredient was in packaging. But the end result was, you know, granted I can cook, so that helped. But if you were to send it to somebody, <laughs> right? So the end result was like I had that burger just like I would have had in that restaurant, you know. Huh. But, um, yeah, the packaging now is, you know, going, you know, Looking at different things, like I think the bento box kind of thing and everything and the plastics like that is great, too, because people can kind of get that, you know, little separate kind of container where they're getting a couple different experiences like snack and things like that. Um, and the hot food is the hot food. There's lot, lots of multiple different types of packaging that you have to look at because some of it, you know, when you start to get into some of that sustainable packaging and that compulsible stuff and everything, it doesn't necessarily hold up for long, lengthy periods of time. You know, you fill something up there that has a sauce or something like that. It really starts to break down quickly. So it's really important to really do that research and everything on, you know, and if you're going to be doing that, the ideation for a menu and the research and put the time behind it to really look at that packaging and making sure it's going to be able to sustain and go. Because, I mean, that kind of takes it into, if you look at the way things are now, too, and the way things are moving towards these uh, ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens, cloud kitchens and everything, a lot of different new packaging things are starting to come up now because it's like, you know, okay, well, I have, you know, this restaurant that's not going to be brick and mortar. It's going to be this virtual restaurant where they're going to order off an app. And what's the right packaging for this? How's that packaging going to be? How's it going to stack into a bag? How it's going to hold up in a bag? How's it, is it, you know, is it top heavy? Is it bottom heavy? Is it going to tip over? Is it going to be, you know, so, so many things need to be taken into consideration right now when looking at packaging because it's, because right now it's a different world, right? So packaging used to be, well, I got the salad bar. I'm going to put some hinge containers on the end of the salad bar. But right now, you know, this whole ghost kitchen, like I said, and cloud kitchen and virtual and all, you know, even within a lot of the operations right now in corporate, you know, they're operating kind of in that ghost kitchen kind of model right now where people are calling down and getting from their desks or from their phone and they're ordering food. And then it's going to be, they're going to come down to the cafe, which, you know, where they used to sit, take it package you know, in a bag and bring it back to their desk. So tons of different opting, options for packaging right now, for sure. And yeah. those guys are the ones that are really making out from COVID, right? Because right now, my understanding is that there's some companies that aren't even taking on new clients and new, new customers and everything right now because they're so backed up on what they can really provide. Because of hmm. you know a lot of things are back. Somebody was telling me about Pactiv or something like that. They they can't do any more than they're doing right now because they just can't get the product out to the customers. Yeah, COVID really has accelerated the whole packaging movement, and I like to hear that from you that people are really evaluating how things are best going to deliver their food, particularly mm -hmm. when you are running a ghost kitchen or or something where you're not in a traditional brick and mortar and you can af afford the little extra expense on that because mm -hmm. that's how people are judging you, you know, before it's just like, well, if it fits, send it, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. And it's going to be part of your brand and your identity too. Is some right. of that packaging, you're going to get that and you're going to be like, wow, this was cool. They really packed this stuff up right. This was the way I got it. And that's, it's your identity now. You know, you might not, you're the restaurant and the aesthetic and everything of the restaurant is not, you're really, it's what they're going to, when you, when that Uber driver hands that package over to you in that bag, that now they're, they're transferring that restaurant over to you. Now that's up to you when you, how you receive that. You can have an oh wow mm -hmm. experience, you can, or you can have a, what the heck is this kind of experience, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I like that. I like that. Transferring the restaurant over to you. That's, that's a great way to put it. Oh, it's so true. 
It's so true. And and you're you're right in the sense that it's a memorable thing too. I mean, if you open up your your the bag and and you see those foam clamshells, right away you're thinking if it was hot food, mm-hmm. you get an impression of what that what that meal's going to be. Where I was completely impressed with what I got from Gold Belly <laughs> for yeah, just a see? burger. The burger, the cheese, how it was set up. Yeah. It was well thought out and it was in you look at the amounts and everything like it was the perfect amount of food too so it wasn't yeah. there wasn't anything that was going to be wasted because it was the perfect amount of stuff yeah. and how they had it packaged was brilliant another thing i like about those those food recipe delivery services is the good ones with, with their recipes they will walk you how to do things in the order mm. so that everything's done at the right time i've had ones that the green beans are getting done way too early mm-hmm. and the potatoes you know blue apron does a pretty good job of like timing it all out so that uh things are done and their packaging is you're right uh, it's it's pretty solid. I haven't heard of the Gold Belly one though. I'm I'm going to check that one out. Definitely check it out. When you when and your first reaction is going to be like, what the heck is this? Because I was like, I got it's a gift <laughs> certificate, and I was like, what? and then I finally had to, I had to see what it was all about, you know. So I I ordered from it, and I was surprised. I just got I got what I did. I cooked some burgers. Mm-hmm. I had some friends over. I'm like, you got to come over. I got these burgers now. I got enough for four of us to have a double stack burger, you know. Yeah. And it was I thought it was great. Yeah. Awesome. See, I'd like to, to just circle back on something we talked a little bit about earlier, and it was on trends. And I, I'm just curious still on, on, you know, when we look at a trend or you look at a trend and you, you think about bringing it in and you're checking off your boxes as far as can, can we pull this off and how is it going to work? But h- how do you look at the, the amount of time you stick with the trend? Is there a, do you just plan them like LTOs in, in the, the, the you know, a short term, or do you look at them as, hey, this thing's here to stay. It's just going to be a new, not a trend, but a new way of doing it. How, how do you evaluate that? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, trends in fads, right? They're all kind of out there, right? They come up, and you, you kind of you look at them and go, well, is it something that's going to necessarily translate into our style of business and service and things like that? Um, and like you, you really got to evaluate, know you know your customer base and everything, because it's going to vary from maybe location to location. What trends are going to stick? What's important and everything? And you know, I mean, people coming up with like the whole you know, plant-based. So if we look at that, for me, like plant-based is a trend. I I don't I don't even want to call it a trend anymore, but I think it's a, it's a way to be. It's a lifestyle right now, right? So. You need to be well versed in plant-based cooking. Any chef, it's not that looks at it and go, "Well, it's just a trend. It's just that." I mean, when I first got into the industry, looking, you know, if somebody was a vegetarian and I was doing a party for 150, I can remember a chef going, "Like, what the, you know, what the heck, you know? You, here you go. You're going to get the Eat wild salad. rice, the potatoes, the salad, and I'm going to throw some the vegetables on a plate for you." Right. Now, you know, you talk about chefs that you really, you know, staying current and staying being able to do things. That should be the focus of what you can do with plants and do with vegetables and things like that. And when I say, for me, when I say that too, um, I'm not against a lot of it, but I'm not all about this, um, you know, the impossible burger and the meat. There's a need for that, but I can't, I don't, I have a hard time calling, you know, here's my vegetarian pulled pork. 
Well, it's not pulled pork. <laughs> it's jackfruit, right? Well, what can we do with vegetables to make them appealing to people using whole vegetables, using natural ways of mm. cooking? Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, people would look at that as a trend, but I think it's staying and it's just going to get more and more now, especially with, yeah. you know, we look into next year with the meat prices going up and up and up or where they're, they're going to go crazy. Like beef is through the roof right now, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, the plant-based thing is a trend. It's not a trend. I think it's a way to be, but, and those trends pop up like molecular, everybody, you know, a couple of years ago, everybody was, that's gone. You think mm-hmm. that's something that because it was so, you know, difficult and everything to really translate into mainstream, you know, it didn't have long legs. Everybody wanted to go and tr- every chef wanted to try it. And I'm going to make, you know, balsamic caviar and I'm going to do this. But it's like it's gone, you know, and especially now in a lot of those fine dining restaurants, a lot of that stuff has changed because of COVID, too. You know, you don't have the people to do that or they've gone back to basics to be able to do things just more simple. I always, that's my whole thing is like, keep it simple, you know? And, and yeah. right now I suppose as well, labor savings, anytime you can help an operator mm-hmm. with something and, and be mindful of the fact of how much labor it takes requires, mm-hmm. or do you have a way to help with labor? Is there something we can do and prep at a different time? And well, I mean, I think you working for Volrath probably know a lot about that too, right? Help with, you know, when you yes. start to look at some of this equipment right now and how equipment can really come in mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't want to say replace, but it's a smarter way of cooking, right? Right. When I look at something like a combi oven, right? And I look in most of the time when I go someplace, they're not using it for the way it could be used all the way fully, right? I know that I can get a combi oven and I could save a guy that's going to stand in front of a grill for two hours grilling chicken. Well, I got a combi oven and I got some grill plates that are in a combi oven. I can grill that chicken and that guy could be doing something else or, you know, using all these things the right way with different ways of cooking, like, you know, cooking, cooking and uh, making stocks in a hot box overnight, you know. You know, remember the days of like, okay, I'm going to leave this on. I'm going to put a do not turn off thing on the steam kettle and everything in the kitchen. Yep. You you can do Overnight. that in a hot box. You can load up, you know, break it down, put it all into six inch hotel pans, bull wrap, of course. Right? Yes. <laughs> and put them into, and load up the hot box. Security's not going to know. Nobody's going to know. You come in the next morning and you're, it's at that bare simmer it's amazing wow. what you can do in it i've made oh, there's one i i never would have thought of putting stock into a hot box just that it works yeah good tip it very works. good yeah it's like you know you keep it at that constant temperature it barely just sits in there and barely bubbles it mm-hmm. keeps at temperature and you have a it's like keeping something on simmer but and you don't have to worry about it it's not going to go anywhere it's not going right. to have to worry about somebody coming in and hitting the handle and turning the flame up or turning the steam jacket kettle up and you come in the next day and you have dry bones, you know, put it in the hot box. Those are those little things with how technology is really helping to save a lot of that labor and everything right now. And it's not as necessarily about eliminating jobs. It's being able to provide better food by taking away a lot of those things that would be time consuming. And now they can focus in on, you know, making, maybe doing something else that's going to provide a better experience for the customer rather than, grilling chicken all day. How, how do you, how do you handle like, um, let's just take pulled pork. For example, you talked about pulled pork a little earlier. So you want to put pulled pork in your, uh, outlets and 
you look at an outlet in the south, and then you look at an outlet in the north. It, the, the pulled pork may be very different mm-hmm. expectation-wise. So yeah, to be standard sure. across your line, do you allow the people to mm-hmm. have some flexibility in that? There's or some do you flexibility. Say, there's, there's different ways of um, building like recipes. So there's certain recipes that are going to be called speed scratch stuff. So maybe you're buying the pork. That's already pulled. So that, that was speed scratch. Speed scratch. Yeah. So okay. it's not necessarily like from scratch, but it's like so. Like if you're in Maine, for instance. Like yes, the expectation might be a little bit different if it's February in Maine and they want you to do a. The client says, "I want to pull pork." Well, I'm not going to go outside and fire up the smoker if I have one. I'm not going to do this. So there, there's alternatives to be able to do that. But by the other end of that, it's like. If I'm in Texas and I don't have a smoker and I'm not making real barbecue, don't do it at all. It goes back to what we were saying before about cooking in a wok or doing something like that. If you're if you're in Dallas and you're gonna be, you're not going to your Cisco representative and getting a frozen, you know, smoked beef brisket. You know, every most a lot of our business in Texas has a lot of great smoker setups and everything outside. Yeah. It's not worth getting crucified if you can't do it right no. for the regional area yeah. that it's known for. Yeah. Correct. Like it's somebody like, you know, I remember going to, uh, I lived up in New England for a while and I went to someplace um, and uh, the chef decided that he needed to put carrots into the New England clam chowder because he needed color. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> I said, all right. I go, uh, you put it out there today. I go, You're gonna get yeah, I'm going to let you get it. When I, I'm just going to, I'm going to watch for the reactions. I'm like, and like they, it was like, you know, you just. That doesn't fly up there. New England clam right. chowder's got a big New England clam chowder. No carrots. <laughs> uh, it's nice to have that that flexibility. And what does the the checklist and procedure look like for when you're looking for a local vendor? And yeah. what kind of standards do you hold them to? There's all the you know obviously the the food safety standards and all of those things and everything too, which is without saying and everything. But I mean, I think it's really finding out, um, not maybe not necessarily just because they make the, the best pesto, but like, who are they and what is their story and everything? What are they, you know, how can we help this vendor become bigger? Or how, what is this vendor? There's usually, because it's funny, because when you go to certain places and you start to travel around the country, and you meet these different vendors and everything. It's really cool to learn the backstory to all of these things and how this came about, like how this, you know, company started making all of this wonderful bread. There's a company in New York that implies all these women from all over the world and all these different countries, but they make breads. So there's a woman in there who's an expert in pita. There's another woman that might be made from China that might make the best scallion flatbread. Another one that's going to make tortillas. And they have this... Um, this, these, these great things and these great, that's the kind of vendors when I'm looking at a vendor and I know, you know, for our company too, it's just like, you know, what, what can, what are they doing for the community and everything too? It's mm. not necessarily just about, cause they make the breast, you know, loaf of bread, but what's the story behind that bread? I mean, cause that's, right. that's great because I think in a lot of times clients and customers really um, want to know about that story. And I think a lot of that came up through, if you look at some trends and insights and everything, that kind of things that came out of COVID and everything too, was that people became a lot more um, attached to their food and understanding because they had all this time on their hands to say, where did this come from? How did, you know, where am I buying this from? Where is this, is this guy good? Is it a clean farm? Where's this? And so they, mm-hmm. they had all this time to research all these things. And, 
you know, and this is globally too. This isn't just here in the U.S. And you know, when you start to look at other countries and like in Asia and everything, this came out as like a trend too, where you know people were really into sourcing local and everything too, and knowing where their food came from. You touched on it there too. It's looking into the background. I'm sure that you have to make sure that this vendor, this company, has to match up with your your mm-hmm. standards, your brand, your almost philosophy, mm-hmm. because. Uh, if if they step out of line and get super political on something, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're taking an extreme view on something, yeah. which for some reason everybody feels like they need to use their platform for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that could turn around and make you guys look bad, regardless of whether they have the best bread or the best chili or the best whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think whoever we're going to partner with needs to pass all those standards and be able to like so. There's, we do things, I mean, it, it's not just even about a prod, product, but it could be ne- something around a restaurant where a restaurant might, we, we, we might partner with somebody who's going to come in and do pop-ups in some locations, you know. We want to make mm-hmm. sure that that person and that restaurant really going to meet our values as a company and is also going to be able to come in and, and um, meet up with our standards or exceed, you know, what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know to come in and really show themselves off and, sh- and, and show us off well as a company and everything too. Like somebody's, yeah. you know, might be someplace, you know, they're going to come in and they can, they have the ability to do authentic barbecue, you know, once a week. And they're, and like, and you're benefiting these companies because, you know, Monday could be a typically slow day for them, but you might be able to partner with them to come in and say, well, on Mondays you're going to come in and you're guaranteed to do 200 covers through our, one of our, you're going to take over a station in one of the cafes you know, and then it's a win-win, and it helps. Mm. For, you know, it helps it helps with uh, you know our people too, because you know it, it. You get to connect our people to the chefs and the people in the community too. It's not just about what's going on within our four walls. Now they start to build you know these relationships with other outside vendors, outside people. Helps with recruitment. Helps to be, you know put our brand out there and everything too. And um, yeah, I think it's great. All right, well, uh, chef, I. Got to say, thank you for uh, spending time with us today. I think your insights into this has is, is been, we always say every sh- every show, you take some nuggets away. So I thank you so much yeah. for, for spending the time. And I know our, our listeners will appreciate uh, hearing about how you look at things, your trends, and just the experience you have in the kitchen. So thank you so yeah, much for you. that. With all of our guests, we do like to also ask if there is a quote or something that inspires you or something you've read maybe or someone said to you that you you could share with our listeners that you enjoy. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of like quotes I really like, but one that stands out all the time and it kind of goes back to what we said before about keeping things simple and everything right now. So Marco Pierre White, right, said, um, you know, Mother Nature is our true artist and our job is as cooks is to allow her to shine. Right. Uh-huh. So it's like, yeah, you get these great ingredients. You know, there's nothing sexier than looking at a carrot in its whole form with the root end and the spit, you know, all of that's that interesting that comes up with, you know, a fresh vegetable rather than taking it and hacking it up and turning it into something that doesn't even resemble a carrot. Right. right? So it's like there's so many beautiful things that come just from nature and things that we can just with simple ingredients and you have, you know, you can create wonderful food without going crazy right. and over the top stuff and i think you know it's it when you're younger and you're a chef and you're younger you want to do all these crazy things and make these foams and do all this and everything yeah. but there's something just wonderful about it just a simply roasted carrot over a wood fire with maybe some nice spice or something on there and that's it you know 
Yeah, Mother Nature does a pretty good job of things if we just leave it alone and keep it yeah. fresh, keep it simple. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, cool, perfect. Well, thank you, thank you again. We really appreciate your time with us today, and um, wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you. It was great to be here. Yeah, yeah, Justin, a, a chef, right? Well, always another another episode where you know, we get to learn a little bit more about uh, chefs and how they think and what they look at, or, and how to yeah. evaluate what he's doing in in his operation. And uh, thankfully, you know, with with chefs, I like to listen, and I'm just in the conversation. And yeah. now we have our opportunity to ask our friend Nate to come in and help us to recap the show. And because I know Nate always does a good job with us uh, helping recap what we've talked about. So to bring it home today, Nate's recap. Well, thanks, Rich. I appreciate the opportunity as always to be able to weigh in a little bit. Um, The big thing I took away is, is Chris's passion for his job. We are so lucky to talk to, and I think this is something you find in on our industry a lot more than other industries. The average person is extremely excited and energetic about what they do in food service. And I just love talking to people or hearing from people who love what they do. It doesn't matter their job. I get so much energy listening to people who enjoy their job, talk about what they do and making it fascinating. And Chris really did that. So that was, I mean, I just enjoyed the conversation to be really honest, because I, I, you can feel the passion he has for food service. And I also love the added, the added aspect of talking to someone who has done food service firsthand and someone who helps others be the best food service operators they can be in a variety of ways. And I love having someone and being able to pick the brain of someone who has perspectives of both sides. There's just so much value there. And I think Chris brought a ton of value to the show and it was, it was Mm -hmm. a wonderful conversation to listen in on. Yeah. It just, doesn't get boring. It doesn't get boring to listen to chefs because each one of them is so unique and all too often, like you said, Nate, passionate about what they do. It just makes it an enjoyable experience to listen to. It was fun listening to him. You know, there's, as you said, the guys that started in the industry and he started from that passion as, as a kid and uh, just as he still has that same kind of interest, you know, and I always say it's a natural interest. You can't force somebody to want to read cookbooks or force somebody to have interest in magazines that are food magazines it has to be natural and when you do have that kind of natural inst- in, in uh, interest in things and and you like doing it and you've got years of experience uh, that's a good show right there so all right well justin anything from you last minute here to bring it home yeah i would like to remind everyone to please please hit that subscribe button help us out here and uh, ring that little bell and while you're at it If you would also share what we got going on here with a friend, let them know that you appreciate the conversations that we have here on the show. All right. And uh, please, anybody, let us know what you think by reaching out to us at volrathfoodservice.com. We enjoy hearing from you and enjoy hearing what you'd like to hear on the feed. So we appreciate that. And this show, well, I'm going to break a little bit here. My my final send-off has been something a little different in the last shows, so... This one, though, I think it's appropriate to go back to my first send-off that I used for some time, which was do what you do best, and um, no one's going to beat you, right? Don't don't try to be something you're not, and I think that was something that Chef talked about today and uh, very appropriate to end the show with. So with that, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week ahead, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care.